This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee, where the voting is done, but the counting continues. We'll be talking about Tuesday's election with Steve Vancor, our resident pollster and pundit. Florida is a lot redder today than it was two years ago, and it was pretty red two years ago. I'm, I'm wondering if national donors are going to look at Florida and think, you know, I think we have a better chance of flipping Texas, flipping Georgia, permanentizing the blue in uh, North Carolina, because certainly Florida is not really a competitive uh, blue state anymore. Florida sides with Donald Trump. It was a narrow win over Joe Biden, but that was more than enough to claim Florida's 29 electoral votes. There are still ballots to be counted in the Sunshine State, but not enough to change the outcome in that contest. It was a good time to be an incumbent in Florida. Most state lawmakers and U.S. representatives were re-elected. The notable exceptions were two Democratic congresswomen from Miami-Dade. Donna Shalala and Debbie Mukersell-Powell both lost in close races. Not much of a change in the Florida legislature. It's a preliminary count, but the elections office is projecting Republicans will maintain control of both chambers, with a 22-17 to 17 split in the Senate and a 77-43 to 43 split in the House. Some of the faces will change, but not the balance of power. Thousands of former felons who served their time got the chance to vote again Tuesday thanks to Amendment 4, commonly known as the Second Chance Amendment. But Florida's Secretary of State is sending lists of names of former felons, claiming they may not be entitled to vote because they still owe money. We don't make laws at the Department of State, but it is our responsibility to follow them fairly and impartially. And when it comes to Amendment 4, that's exactly what we have done. No reports of any major disruptions in Florida on Election Day, but there were plenty of people standing outside the polls trying to intimidate voters. The campaigners are getting right outside the 150-foot no solicitations zone, and they're just yelling at voters, um, not wearing masks, and it's making people feel uncomfortable. Uh, there have been instances where you know, trucks are driving by with people yelling at voters, yelling obscenities and that sort of thing. We now live in a COVID-19 red zone. A report from the White House Coronavirus Task Force says the rate of new COVID cases in Florida has been increasing steadily since early October. They've issued reports to the nation's governors every week since June, but our governor doesn't want the public to see them. We'll also have your daily calendar of political events and check in with an Orlando rapper known as Glock 9, who has been busted for illegal possession of a Glock 9. And now the top stories on Sunrise for Wednesday, November 4th. It was on this date in 1979 that the Iran hostage crisis began as militants stormed the U.S. Embassy in Tehran, seizing its occupants. It was the start of 444 days of captivity. This is also National Stress Awareness Day and National Candy Bar Day. The 2020 campaign is finally over. The votes are still being counted. Joining us now to talk about the results is political strategist Steve Vancor. So the votes are in. At the time that Steve and I are recording this, they are still counting, but we have a pretty good read on where Florida is going on all the major races, starting with the presidential race. Do we not, Steve? Yeah. It, it, listen, it, it, Democrats are, are tr holding on to some hope right now, and there really is very little, and I'll tell you why, Rick. The way voters have voted this year, unlike anything we've ever seen, uh, due in large part to the, to the virus and the whole mask argument. But the bottom line is Democrats voted overwhelmingly vote by mail. Republicans caught them in early voting. We enter Election Day with Democrats at plus one, okay? meaning that more Democrats have voted than Republicans by that percentage point. Well, we end up at Republicans at about plus two. What that means is Election Day voting leaned more Republican. They gained three points total. Well, the last ballots to come in 
we don't bring them in by precincts anymore. They, they're brought in by method of voting. All the early votes are tabulated. All the vote-by-mail votes, by and large, are pretty much tabulated. But when you consider that, the numbers will only get more Republican as the night goes on. In addition to that, we have a central time zone that is heavily, heavily Republican. Not a lot of votes relative to the whole state, but when those start closing out, they'll continue to add to Trump's lead. I think it's over in Florida. We still don't know what's going to happen in the rest of the country, but it's certainly Florida looks pretty darn red like right now. And and the one place you have to look at is Dade County. Yeah, there was a huge Biden underperformance did, there, was there not? Dade, Dade, well, turnout was uh, almost the same, but Dade County, um, Trump uh, did 10 points better against um, Joe Biden than he did against Hillary. And I think that's because the Democrats misread on the Hispanic vote. Remember, Hispanics are are anti-socialists, conserv- you know, personally conservative, a lot of Catholics. And I think the Democrats thought that they were going to sweep among Hispanics. And Dade County is a, looks very different after tonight than it did six, even four years ago. You lost two congressional seats. Uh, you have an incumbent senator in a Democratic seat that is headed to, looks like he's headed to a recount. And you had another seat that was supposed to be the marquee seat, the marquee pickup. The Senate 39 seat, that was double-digit loss for the Democrats. So a uh, really tough night for statewide for Democrats, and a lot of it centers on what happened in Miami days. I, I guess the incumbents really did well, except for, now you mentioned the two seats, that's uh, Donna Shalala and uh, Debbie Mukersel-Powell, correct? Yep. Who both yep. lost in close races down there. Actually, though, if you were an incumbent in Florida, this was a really good election for you. Other uh, than those two. Yeah. <laughs> Every election's pretty. Let's face it. Every election's pretty good for an incumbent. They have the advantage of money. They have the advantage of having been elected in that seat before. They have the advantage of the support of the party. So, the incumbency comes with its privileges. And also, when we look at the split in the legislature, uh, the projection on the state elections website is that we will end up with a, a Republican majority in the Senate, twenty-three to seventeen, and a Republican majority in the House, seventy-seven to forty-three. That's pretty much where we are already, right? Yeah, you had a little bit of back and forth, but I think the Republicans looked like they picked up a couple seats in the House, did they not? Uh, they they did actually. So they're they're yeah. <laughs> so much for that blue wave, huh? You know, I, I did a presentation a couple of years ago, showed this big blue wave, and then I just showed it crashing on the shore of Florida, saying, "Yeah, we don't get blue waves here ever." <laughs> <laughs> and constitutional amendments—that's another big issue. Uh, amendment number two. Well, it's time. It looks like our time is up, Rick. Thank you for having me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can handle those if you want. <laughs> no, I got it. <laughs> Amendment number two, the $15 an hour minimum wage between now and 2026. Looks like a very, very narrow win. Yeah, it looks like a narrow win. Um, the more Republican votes will be coming in, and they're pretty much against it. So this, there's still a, a razor-thin chance of, uh, for that one to go down, but probably not. It's got a lot. It's, 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 it's almost a full point above water. Uh, so that looks like that's going uh, going to pass. As you know, I worked um, hard for many years on the all voters vote open primary. My condolences, and, uh, Steve. Yes. Yeah, thank you. Um, but you know what? I, I do feel good. It, it's gotten more uh, votes than any time other in any other state. Uh, we still get the loss. Um, there's a lot of reasons for that. Mostly, we didn't really have a full campaign to run it. Uh, the 
extreme generosity of of Mike Fernandez to help us get there was supposed to yield us federal money. The federal money never came, and we were left um, with nothing to swing. So, uh, but even so, uh, the people apparently think it's a good idea. I mean, fifty-seven percent said yes. That doesn't meet the sixty percent threshold, but that's a majority. I feel good about that, Rick. The people like they—they like me. They really like me, (laughs) (laughs) but they don't like me enough. Thank you, Sally. Uh, Uh, Yes, exactly right. And Amendment Number Four: the Do-Over Amendment. Yeah, that that's never polled above fifty percent. It actually did a little better than I thought it was going to do. Um, so good, good. So the people, it's going to be very hard moving forward to pass constitutional amendments. The legislature has has made the the number larger. They made getting signatures harder. You have to get them in more areas. Uh, they've added language that now follows the ballot. They're allowing the court. To, to issue opinions on what they think about it, no longer just single subject. So this might be the last year um, that you see any of these uh, constitutional amendments, citizen initiatives making their way through. Uh, there's some murmuring about uh, marijuana, but it's um, going to be really hard to do. So looking back, how would you sum up the 2020 campaign, Mr. Van Cor? Uh, Florida is a lot redder today um, than it was two years ago, and it was pretty red two years ago. I'm, I'm wondering if national donors are going to look at Florida and think, you know, I think we have a better chance of flipping Texas, flipping Georgia, um, uh, permanentizing the blue in uh, North Carolina, because certainly uh, Florida is not, you know, really a competitive uh, blue state anymore, is it? No, it's not. hasn't been for a while. Our guest today, Steve Vancour. Thank you so much, Steve, and I, I guess we'll right, do this again in a few it. years, huh? <laughs> Hopefully uh, we'll do something in a couple of weeks. All right, take care. Now that we've heard the results, let's talk about the process. Election Day 2020 got off to a smooth start, with a few exceptions. Shortly before noon, Secretary of State Laurel Lee said everything was going pretty well. For starters, there weren't as many people showing up Election Day because more than 60% of the registered voters had already cast their ballots. But this being Florida, there had to be problems, right? Liza McClenahan with Common Cause of Florida says there were, but they were relatively minor. We had a few instances of machine failures in Hillsborough and Duval. Those have been repaired. And in Lake County, the electronic poll books were not correctly configured. So for those polling places that had more than one precinct voting in a facility, they needed to fix those. So about six precincts where they needed to go correct the, the poll books. In the meantime, the voters were allowed to vote provisional ballots. In Pinellas County, we have some parking issues. So again, enthusiasm of people wanting to show up at their polling places. And so it's going smoothly at the moment in Florida. And Secretary of State Lee says they took care of the technical glitches. The department is monitoring security statewide, and currently there are no reported issues. There may be isolated precincts in Lake County and Lee County that had some technology challenges this morning. We have technology staff collaborating with those counties to offer assistance, and we are working with Supervisor Doyle and Supervisor Hayes. They have ensured that voters in those counties had the opportunity to cast their ballot this morning. 
These issues will not prevent any voter from casting a ballot. Of course, there are some things the state cannot fix, like douchebags who try to intimidate people when they vote. It's nothing like Texas, where Trump supporters tried to run a campaign bus off the road, but Brad Ashwell with the All Voting is Local group says there were plenty of obnoxious Floridians trying to intimidate people outside the polls. The COVID crisis has resulted in a record number of Floridians voting by mail, and Ashwell says that will be one of the enduring legacies of the 2020 election. You know, I think, I think it is to some degree because it's just so convenient. You know, I think, I think voters have already been trending this way for a while. And COVID might have just been the thing that sort of kicked people, kicked people over the hump. I, I can speak from my experience. I've never voted by mail, but I voted this time. And now I'm enrolled. I'll get my vote by mail ballot in the mail next time. It's real easy. You know, this is the first cycle we have uh, drop boxes at every early voting site, main office and branch office too during early voting. So, you know, that's new and really convenient. Uh, it's been heavily used. Um, so I, I think, yeah, I don't, I don't know if we'll see this kind of, you know, once COVID is contained. I don't know if we'll see, thinking optimistically, I don't know if we'll see this this kind of turnout be developed by mail in the future, but I think it's definitely heading that way for sure. Thousands of former felons in Florida got the chance to vote Tuesday thanks to Amendment 4, the second chance amendment that was approved by voters two years ago. The legislature tried to limit their numbers by forcing them to pay any outstanding fines or fees that were imposed as part of their sentences. Secretary of State Laura Lee says they've begun sending lists of former felons to county elections offices that the state believes are ineligible to vote because of outstanding debts. On the subject of, of Constitutional Amendment 4, we don't make laws at the Department of State, but it is our responsibility to follow them fairly and impartially. And when it comes to Amendment 4, that's exactly what we have done. Now that the appellate court has ruled and the law is clear, we must follow it. So it is important for voters to know the Department of State does not remove voters from voter rolls. If we see credible and reliable information that a voter may be ineligible, we forward that information to Florida's supervisors of elections. When that happens, a voter is still entitled to notice and due process. We have begun the process of forwarding uh, to supervisors of elections uh, files related to voters who may be ineligible because they owe outstanding financial terms as part of a criminal sentence. Uh, not all counties have received those files, but we have begun the process of sending those out. So what happens if someone on the state's felon purge list actually voted? Lee answered, but didn't really answer that question. We've worked very hard to be sure that any voter who has questions about his or her eligibility under the terms of Amendment 4 has options to clarify their status and their potential eligibility. Specifically, the Department of State added a frequently asked questions portion to our website, so any voter with questions could go there to quickly and easily ascertain the status of the law as it relates to voter eligibility. We also frequently take questions and phone calls from voters who may have questions about eligibility, and we also offer advisory opinions for those voters who are unable to determine their eligibility on their own by going to their county clerks and attempting to develop that information themselves. As many as 13,000 former felons were able to vote thanks to a campaign by celebrities to pay off their court fines and fees. Notable figures like Michael Bloomberg and LeBron James contributed to the nonprofit Florida Rights Restoration Coalition. They helped pay about $27 million in outstanding fines and fees. That's about enough about the election. We'll have an update on Florida's COVID crisis next, but first let's take a break for the sponsors. You're listening to the Sunrise Podcast from Florida Politics, and we are much obliged. 
Predict It is like the stock market for all things politics. Instead of trading stock in companies, you're investing money into your opinions on everything from election results to how many times President Trump will tweet this week. It's easy and only costs a few bucks to get started. Our podcast listeners can get a special introductory offer by visiting predictit.org slash promo slash F-L-A-P-O-L. Try it today. Welcome back to Sunrise, and welcome to the Red Zone. A report from the White House Coronavirus Task Force says the rate of new COVID cases in the Sunshine State has been increasing steadily since early October, pushing the state out of the yellow zone and into the red. That report, issued on October 25th, says there are, quote, early signs of deterioration in the Sun Belt, including Florida, as mitigation efforts were decreased over the last month. It went on to say Florida should immediately expand mitigation in the counties with rising case numbers and any increase in daily hospitalizations. The White House task force has been sending governors these weekly reports since June, but Governor Ron DeSantis did not release them until the Orlando Sentinel got their lawyers involved and filed a public records request. The governor's office has not explained why it's not sharing the report with the public, but it certainly doesn't fit in with his narrative that Florida is safe and open for business. And by forcing the newspaper to file a public records request, they can delay the release of a time-sensitive document. As the Sentinel pointed out, it's not clear how the governor uses these reports. We have no idea if his office shares them with any other entity in the state, including counties, cities, hospitals, universities. But several local officials who requested a copy were denied. The State Health Department reported 4,637 new cases of COVID-19 on Election Day. It was the third day in a row with more than 4,000 new infections. The statewide total of coronavirus cases has reached almost 817,000 since the pandemic began. The state also reported 56 additional fatalities, increasing Florida's death toll to 17,099. A financial battle between the Alachua County Sheriff and the Alachua County Commission moves to the Florida Supreme Court today. Under state law, sheriffs submit their budgets to county commissions, which make changes before giving final approval. The issue in this case is whether Sheriff Sadie Darnell has to get permission from the commission to transfer money within her own budget after it's been approved. The First District Court of Appeal has already ruled in favor of Darnell, saying the state law preserves the powers necessary for a sheriff to carry out their duties and responsibilities, which includes authority over the budget and office expenditures. Your calendar of events, well, the Florida Supreme Court meets by video conference beginning at 9. They will hear arguments in three cases, including that one from Alachua County. The Florida Commission on Offender Review meets in a conference call at 9. The State Reemployment Assistance Appeals Commission meets at 9.30. And Bill Wagner, the president and CEO of Log Me In Incorporated, will speak during an online meeting of the Economic Club of Florida at noon. Finally today, a Florida man who goes by the name of Glock 9 is charged with possession of a Glock 9, which is illegal if you're a convicted felon. 20-year-old rapper Jaquavius Smith was arrested after a traffic stop in Orlando. Deputies say they searched the car after smelling marijuana and found a stolen gun with Smith's fingerprints. The Orange County Sheriff's Office says he's part of a street gang connected to a series of shootings throughout the area. But his attorney says Glock 9 is not a gang member and has no involvement in any of the shootings, except for that time that he was shot at. The Orlando Police Department says Smith was the intended target of a shooting back in early October. And that's it for today's installment of Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg in Tallahassee, inviting you to join us again tomorrow as we plumb the depths of Florida politics.